Our scripture reading today comes from 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, so let's remain standing in honor of God and his word as we read this whole chapter. So 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, starting in verse 1. Now concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered together to him, we ask you, brothers, not to be quickly shaken in mind or alarmed either by a spirit or a spoken word or a letter seemingly to be from us, to the effect that the day of the Lord has come. Let no one deceive you in any way, for that day will not come unless the rebellion comes first and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction, 
who opposes and exalts himself against every so-called God or object of worship so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, proclaiming himself to be God. Do you not remember that when I was still with you, I told you these things? And you know what is restraining him now so that he may be revealed in his time. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains it will do so until he is out of the way. And then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord Jesus will kill with the breath of his mouth and bring to nothing by the appearance of his coming. The coming of the lawless one is by the activity of Satan with all power and false signs and wonders and with all wicked deception for those who are perishing because they refuse to love the truth and so be saved. Therefore, God sends them a strong delusion so that they may believe what is false in order that all may be condemned who did not believe the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. But we ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers beloved by the Lord, because God chose you as the first fruits to be saved through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. To this he called you through our gospel so that you may obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. So then, brothers, stand firm and hold to the traditions that you were taught by us, either by our spoken word or by our letter. Now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father, who loved us and gave us eternal comfort and good hope through grace, comfort your hearts and establish them in every good work and word. You may be seated. As we go to prayer, we want to remember one of our missionary couples, uh, Eric and Debbie Smith. Uh, Eric and Debbie have served for years with the ministry One Challenge uh, for many years in the Philippines and then uh, in more recent years from their headquarters in Colorado Springs where they've been serving globally. One of the projects they've been deeply involved with is training church planners in Mongolia. And this month they're actually spending some time in Mongolia with those church planters. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, how do we begin to express our thoughts and feelings and intentions towards you? Your ways are so much higher than ours and your thoughts so much higher than our thoughts. Human words don't do justice. How can we use the same word to say we adore that sweater to express that we adore you? And how do we express that you are an awesome God with the word we use to describe an awesome movie? And how do we express gratitude for every blessing you bestow with simple words like, thank you? Father, we pray that you would see through the simple words and songs that we offer and read our hearts. And we pray that you would be pleased by what you see, as flawed as our offerings are. We confess that we are sometimes discouraged by the darkness of the world around us. Yet while, while we see that darkness, Lord, help us to keep our eyes fixed on you and not be distracted by the cares of this ever-darkening world. We ask that we might be clear lenses that allow those in darkness to perceive the light that is you. Let us be channels of hope to those who have none, and let the good works for which you created us be the evidence that convinces those in darkness that you are real, you are good, you are great, and you love them. And we thank you for allowing us to become the channels of your blessing to the world around us. We ask, Lord, that every word that is spoken among us this morning would be a word that draws the speakers and the hearers into deeper communion with you. 
whether those words are in disservice, in a classroom, out on the plaza, on a living room sofa, or in a car in the parking lot. Let them be words of truth spoken in love. And may the building up that we experience here today strengthen us to live consistently as your ambassadors throughout this coming week. We pray uh, your blessing on Eric and Debbie Smith as they spend time with our brothers and sisters in Mongolia. May they be a source of encouragement and blessing in your name. Use them to equip the church planners and others to advance the spread of your kingdom throughout Mongolia and regions beyond. We're grateful, Lord, for who you are. May we be faithful to reveal your glory to those around us. We pray that you are blessed by our worship this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. You will save whom you will save We're the lost and helpless ones The rebels and the renegades Who spurn your holy love You will save whom you will save Mercy will be magnified And the one who's gone astray And followed after lies But you have loved us And opened our eyes It's your grace From beginning to the end It's your grace We can never comprehend Why you drew the ones who ran from you What can we do but offer you Save whom you will save. We were captive to our wills, and if our hearts had not been changed, we flee your mercy still. You will save whom you will save. Who can question what you do? You're the potter, we're the clay. You can make us as you choose, and there is no one who boasts before. It's your grace from beginning to the end. It's your grace. We will never comprehend why you drew the ones who ran from you. What can we do but offer you Yet the promise hope remains You will rescue anyone Who calls upon your name You will save whom you will save Faithful love won't be denied Christ has overcome the grave And for our sins he died And when he comes back His glory will shine It's your
still have hearts that would reject your grace. And so we praise you and thank you for the life that you've poured out on us by your spirit and through the grace that's in your son. We pray this morning that you would use your word to work in our hearts, that which is pleasing to you, and it would all be to Jesus' glory, and it's in his name we pray. Amen. It takes courage and truth to live as a Christian in this world. Many Christians today are living fearful and deceived. The church in Thessalonica was getting pressure from people who didn't like what Jesus said. And the heat was being turned up on them. It was all because they resisted fear and rejected lies. It's all because they would not let anyone deceive them. A Christian school in Louisville, Kentucky is in hot water today because it dared to teach the Bible. It faces being considered on the wrong side of history faces incredible pressure to change its ways, to abandon its beliefs, to appease angry parents and discontented alumni and concerned local citizens. Will they resist fear and reject lies? Will they let the world deceive them? Today, we are deceived into thinking that we shouldn't put our trust in what God has said in his word. Because if it goes against public opinion, or it goes against popularly accepted beliefs and practices, we're going to be told you really shouldn't be holding to that view. We don't determine what the Bible teaches The Bible determines what we must teach. Which throws people into the next argument against biblical truth, coming this time from within, regarding biblical interpretation. Which some will say, well, it's all up to everyone else's own interpretation, and it causes wars, and it alienates the masses, and it divides the church. So it's really up to everyone's own interpretation. Anti-deceptive countermeasure number one, no. We should all 
interpret the scriptures the way the apostles and prophets did, with a literal grammatical historical hermeneutic, seek to discern authorial intent in context so that we don't cloud what God has made very clear. And it takes courage and truth, which always go hand in hand. What would cause a a Christian to be fearful or deceived. For the Thessalonians in the first century, they were being told that Christ's return had already happened. And some wrote fake letters even, trying to deceive them, deny God's word, and people were telling believers, you missed Christ's return. And it caused some of these new believers to panic and to doubt God. Now, it's interesting, that was their issue. We're more prone today to not think much of the Lord's return. We've been deceived into thinking that the Bible doesn't mean what it says. We're constantly being told that the return of Christ won't happen because people don't believe that Jesus came the first time. They don't believe the basic gospel message. They throw the baby out with the bathwater. They jettison all truth. They deny that God has spoken. And then they'll tell you, you're absolutely on the wrong side of history if you believe that Jesus is coming back and that much less that you should sacrificially serve him. And many Christians become fearful and deceived and throw in the towel, give up on pressing on and go with the flow and join the crowd and And they echo and they mimic the once vaunted foes with the haunting echo of, did God really say? In the first century, they had a godless culture lambasting them, taunting them, mocking, and saying, you missed it. You missed it. And the temptation today is to think it won't happen. Lulled to sleep with sweet-sounding lies, and we no longer see blasphemy as blasphemy. We see it as someone speaking their truth. We have fallen down the you-do-your-truth-I'll-do-mine rabbit hole of humanism. In 1994, David F. Wells wrote, Our culture has no place for truth. And human experience is a useful servant, but a terrible master. But in many minds, human experience eclipses truth. Nancy Piercy said, Total truth is the only thing that can liberate Christians from their cultural captivity. And yet there's no room for it on our shelf. No cherishing of it in our hearts. We have, she said, become secularized. We don't believe in absolutes anymore. And yet, there is a remnant that still believes. And they find it tough going. And they're tempted to become fearful and shaky and the lies are just pulling like a magnet. Your soul might feel that today. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, and 
And the first part of verse 3 says, let no one deceive you. Let no one deceive you. And we need this. We are living in a time where truth is being called lies and lies are being called truth. And it's like you always have to have this conversation with yourself in your head that no, 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 that is truth. People are saying it's a lie, but, but that's truth. You have to like fight with your own mind. 2 Thessalonians tells us to be steadfast, to remain steadfast. It it provides intel on coming judgment and Christ's return and even disciplining the unruly until he comes back. And in chapter 2, we see a timeline. A timeline of events associated with the Lord's return so that Christians will not lose heart and be deceived. This was written a few months after writing 1 Thessalonians and 1 Thessalonians called for urgent love in light of the imminent return of Christ, and Paul is sounding the alarm in 2 Thessalonians to remain steadfast, to persevere until Christ returns. And he's calling believers to persevere in faith, in steadfast hope, until Christ returns. And they're navigating painful persecution and and problems, and, and they're battling false teaching and false living. Paul was still in Corinth, and he heard all the issues had gotten worse, how the persecution had increased, and people were starting to despair, and false days, false ideas of the day of the Lord were being perpetrated, and Christ's return was being used as an excuse not to work, and and here is Christ's bride, the church. He is beautifying her. He's building her up through Paul, helping the church, objects of God's Sovereign grace and covenantal love to stand firm in Christ's steadfastness. We worked our way through chapter 1, and it began with really an encouragement that, that God is giving the believers progress via pain. The problems that you encounter just by being a sinful human living in a fallen world, but also the persecutions that you endure for your faith in Christ. We saw that that the persevering church preserved by God is proof of God's righteous coming judgment. We saw four descriptions of that judgment, that it will be fair and fierce, forever, final. It's been sovereignly decreed. And then last week, we saw the prayer we all must pray for God's will to be done in God's strength for God's glory, that he would make believers worthy of his calling and fulfill every desire for good and every work of faith by his power. It's a kind of Christ-centered, theologically dense, gospel, God-glorifying prayer that all believers should be praying for for each other. Trouble was they had been taught the truth, but now they're being told lies. They have received contradicting info, and so chapter 2 gives timelines. The schedule, if you will, so the church is not fearful or deceived 
that this is assurance everything is going according to plan. So we, we need a timeline. I mean, you're going to see it. We're going to see it in, in, over a number of weeks and in upcoming weeks. But we're just going to look at, at, at the request today, the request for them to, to resist fear and, and reject lies. But we're going to be seeing this timeline. And I want to at least sketch it out for us as we start as part of God's sovereign orchestration of history certain prophesied events have been planned to precede the return of Jesus from heaven the rise of the antichrist is one of these Paul had told the Thessalonians about it but now he found it necessary to write it down for them I was talking to a friend once and I we were talking about giving advice to a, another friend and I said to my friend, well, I gave our friend the advice. And he said, did you write it down? Did you put it in writing? I said, no, I gave it verbally. And he says, you might want to come back around and put it in writing for that person because sometimes they forget. Don't we all? It's always better when it's in writing, right? You can just... One more chance of not forgetting, or at least helping to be remembered, right? To, and here, here here's, the, here's the schedule, okay? The return of Christ, the day of the Lord, it's going to happen. But it's going to be preceded by some things that happen first. There will be the rebellion. We'll see that in greater detail. The rebellion. And then the revealing and the restraining of the man of lawlessness, as the mystery of lawlessness is at work. And, and some of you are, are going to say, wow, this is startling, scary stuff. I don't really want to think about this. I like to think about all the, the good stuff. And I would just tell you, this is the other side of the story. If there will be glorious freedom for the children of God, if, if there's going to be glory for believers there is also going to be destruction for the unbelieving. There's going, to be, there's going to be things that happen that are very sobering. Verse 3 says, Let no one deceive you. That day will not come unless the rebellion comes first and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction. The passage goes on to say, But you stand firm in the truth. You be strong because God is sovereign. And, and what we're going to see is it's going to go from darkness to beauty. From darkness to beauty. And the idea is this. Knowing the order of events associated with the Lord's return, there's a two-pronged request that's given. And it's this. Resist fear and reject lies. Resist fear and reject lies. Resist fear. Verse 1 says, Now... Concerning the coming, the arrival, the parousia of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's the fifth mention of Christ's coming in the two letters. It was four times in the first letter. And it says, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered together with him. This is the word that's used only twice in the New Testament. The other time is in Hebrews 10.25. Do not forsake the assembly of believers, the gathering. Good job, church. Gathered. But it says, our being gathered together. This is the future time when God will gather his people together. 
This is a meeting, an assembly, a collecting together of all believers. This is about all believers meeting with Jesus. It's the rapture of the church that was described in, in the first letter in the fourth chapter. The Thessalonians were anticipating that. The future time when God would gather his people together and it will happen. And he's, they're saying, okay, so, so concerning this, it's going to happen. So concerning it, we ask you, brothers... In the Greek sentence, these are the first words, we ask you. It's very, very important. We request of you. It's a big deal, not a little deal. It's not, hey, you know, um, could you do me a favor? Or, hey, I want to tell you something, but I can tell you later. No, it's stop everything and listen to this. Like, stop everything right now and listen to this. You need this to go on. We ask you to not be, verse 2, quickly shaken, hastily Shaken. The idea is of being moved, of being pushed off point, of being caused to waver, of being made to totter even. And the suddenness of shock is emphasized. This is used of an earthquake in Acts 16. It's the sudden jolt of an earthquake, or it's used of a ship at anchor that is slipping from its mooring in a heavy wind and just drifts away quickly. He says, don't be quickly shaken in your mind, in your understanding, in, in your reasoning faculty, in the power of your judgment. Don't be, don't be quickly shaken or alarmed. Don't be troubled. Don't be troubled inwardly. Don't be disturbed. Don't be frightened. Don't be quickly shaken from your composure in your mind. And don't be disturbed. Don't be troubled. Don't be frightened by, you know, like you get frightened by a noise. There's a tumult happening. Don't be disturbed by it. It's in the present tense. It's the idea that there's a continued agitation that followed the definite shock. It's like aftershock ripples. And they're in a state of jumpiness. The church is jumpy. Describes this state of agitation and alarm that was gripping the church. Can you think of a time when you were truly fearful? I mean, not just startled. I get startled by my family all the time. If you just walk up behind me and start talking to me anywhere in the house, I, ah, you, you know. Some of you are pointing to the family member who does that all the time, I know. To you, because they shouldn't do that, I know. Um, but not just a time when you were kind of spooked, or just a little frightened or concerned because you heard a noise. But I mean truly terrified. Can you think of a time when you were truly terrified? I'm talking um, body-shaking fright, in-flight fear, panic attack, night terrors. Fear is an ugly tyrant that can take over and control. Some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. Well, the church was greatly distressed. They expected to be raptured gathered together to Christ before the day of the Lord. They expected glory. They expected heaven. They didn't expect persecution and wrath and then being told, you missed the Lord's return and now you're in the day of his wrath. And what, what reinforced it was the contrary communication that they were getting that was claiming to them, you're in the middle of the day of the Lord. You're in the middle of, of God pouring out his wrath. 
And, and Paul and his friends are saying, look, don't be agitated by this. Even if a spirit, what he's talking about is false teachers. And you might want to go over to 1 John 4. The idea of false teaching, denying. What happens when false teachers come in is they deny the scriptures or they add to the scriptures. They want to take away from it or they want to add to it. And the spirit here refers to a false prophet claiming to speak from God. 1 John 4. Verse 1, beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. And here's how you know, now it's juxtaposed with false prophets, for many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the spirit of God, every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God, and every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming, and now is in the world already. He says, don't be alarmed and agitated and, and jumpy because of false teacher or a spoken word Someone coming up and, and teaching or preaching and giving some verbal communication and a message, a statement, a speech to the effect that the day of the Lord has already come. Don't believe that. And don't be agitated by it. And then he says, even if it was a letter seeming to come from us. This is why he takes great pains to put his unique signature on this letter at the end of it. He says, this, you know, do the handwriting analysis. This is how I write. There had been a written report sent to them contradicting what Paul had taught them at the rapture and it was to the effect that the day of the Lord had come and the injury that this false information inflicted was harsh upon the church because whoever wrote it claimed it was from Paul. It was an outright lie. They forged his signature. And the result was, was shock and harm. They expected the rapture before the day of the Lord. And this is where you step in and you, you firmly correct the error. This is what Paul does. He firmly corrects the error. It's important that they know this is really him writing, not a counterfeit. And he's very careful again to end the letter with his own handwriting. And he straightens things out. And he says, the day of the Lord has not come yet. And it won't come until certain things happen. Which is not a reason for Christians to go, well, I'm going on vacation then. I'm just going to relax because it's not going to happen for a while. You don't know when it's going to happen. But what you need to know is it hasn't happened yet. It's imminent. So Paul straightens things out and about the day of the Lord. There's a lot of disagreement and confusion about the day of the Lord among Christians even. This moment described by Paul is called the day of the Lord, or the day of Christ even. and highlights the preeminent Son of God, God the Son is in this event and it's about his pre-planned future return and when he returns, he will, he will rescue his people from the enemy and before this, there will be a, a rebellion, there will be a falling away, there, the man of lawlessness, the man of sin will be revealed and, and Paul will go on to give even more detail about the Antichrist. But first... 
He wants them to tighten their grip on truth so as not to fall by the wayside and be fearful, but to be standing strong and steadfast. It's it's human nature to become fearful. Isaiah put it this way, Isaiah 7, 2, the heart of the people shook like the trees of the forest as they shake before the wind when it found out about their enemies coming towards them. In the first letter, Paul had said, don't be moved by these afflictions. Don't be put off point by these afflictions. We were appointed to it. What he's telling them is you gotta resist fear. And the only way to resist fear is to reverently fear God. Fear God and you'll be able to resist fear. Isaiah 26, three says, God will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on him, fixed on him because he trusts in you. Trust in the Lord forever. For for God, the Lord is an everlasting rock. He's not budging. He's not moving. His word's not changing. This is what Jesus said in John 14. Let not your hearts be troubled. But it's going to be truth or lies. Like you can't say, I'm going to be in the middle ground. I'm just going to be you know, somewhere and going to hedge my bets and see where it, where it lies. No, truth or lies. There's no middle ground. There's, there's no no man's land to be when it has to do with truth and lies. You can't just have like half truths and half lies. There's no middle ground. It's like a lighthouse. A lighthouse that isn't supposed to move, right? It's fixed. It's built to withstand many pressures. It's, it's tons, tons of cement and other things that are holding it there so that the waves crash and still it stands and able to show the way to others who might be in danger and help them live in safety. We have to be like that. This is what Paul is telling the church to be like. We must not be moved. There should not be fear harassing the church. There should be courage. But see, the problem is we keep moving with the world. Oh, you, you want me to not say anything about the Bible? Okay. Oh, you want me to, to not, not go with, with the idea of Christ crucified, risen, and coming again? Oh, you want me to say the resurrection didn't really happen? Oh, okay. And over and over again, we give up ground, and the erosion ruins the witness of the church. The gates of hell shall not prevail But the church keeps giving up ground. God and his word stand firm. And there is an ocean of error that is encroaching upon the church. And if we would not be swept out to sea, we must remain steadfast and not let anyone deceive us. We must live in the fear of the Lord, not the fear of man. The fear of the Lord, that phrase is seen over 300 times in the Old Testament. It's an important concept. Reverence for God. Such that you do not fear man, you fear displeasing God. A.W. Tozier said the fear of God is, is astonished reverence. Reverential fear of God mixed with love. An admiration, a devotion. He called it a most enjoyable state, a most satisfying emotion that the soul can know. John Bunyan said, the fear of the Lord is his treasure, a choice jewel. 
William Anderson said, the fear of the Lord is reverential trust and hatred of evil. It's like Isaiah said, do not call conspiracy all that these people call conspiracy. Do not fear what they fear, nor be in dread, but the Lord of hosts, him you shall honor as holy, and him shall be, he shall be your fear. Let him be your fear, and let him be your dread. It was said of Lord Lawrence, it's inscribed in Westminster Abbey, he feared man so little because he feared God so much. When resist sinful fear, you must reverently fear Almighty God and reject the lies. Reject the lies. The, the very first phrase of, of verse 3 is, let no one deceive you in any way, in all of the ways that Paul had, had said. False teaching, a letter, a sermon. Deceive means to deceive completely. It means to deceive successfully. It, it's the idea of, of striking fear in someone so that they will cave in. And, and what he's saying is, don't let anyone weasel in and drive a wedge between you and God and you and the church and deceive you. James says, don't be deceived, my beloved brethren. Every good and perfect gift is from God, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shifting shadow. He doesn't change. His word is not going to change. And of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth. If you're going to reject lies, you must cling to truth. I think of 2 Kings 22, when Hilkiah found the book of the law, and people were like, What's that? And Josiah, young King Josiah, heard the words that were read to him. He tore his clothes in grief because he knew that the wrath of God was heavy on them because they had neglected his word. They had bought into lies. Second Chronicles 36 tells us God sent messenger after messenger to his people and they mocked the messengers. They mocked. They listened to deceptive words. And we're to stay away from all wicked deception. God's word is accurate. It's a sword. God is a shield to those who take refuge in him. It's not about following a certain person or a school of thought. It's about being constrained to follow the word of God. In Matthew 24... Jesus is asked a question by his disciples. Verse 3, tell us, when will these things be? What will be the sign of your coming and of the close of the age? And Jesus answered them, see that no one leads you astray. For many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ. And they will lead many astray. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not alarmed. This must take place, but the end is not yet. In 2 Peter chapter 2, in verse 1 we read these words, But false prophets also arose among the people. By the way, here is a uh, pithy diatribe on how God will mow down evil. 
But false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction, and many will follow. In 2 Peter chapter 3, in verse 1, He says, this is now the second letter I'm writing to you, beloved. And in both of them, in in both letters, I'm stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder that you should remember the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior through your apostles. Knowing this, first of all, that scoffers will come. and, And we know what they bring with them, right? We know this, right? Scoffers will come with their scoffing they do this they scoffers scoff well, it's not true you shouldn't believe it you shouldn't say it you're going to make people feel bad and on and on it goes and we cringe in fear under a false cover of wanting to be loving and we will not tell people the truth In Ephesians 5, it says, Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Think about a time you were deceived. Not just questioning, not just wavering, not just confused, but really deceived to the point that you were doubting that God is good, to the point that you were doubting whether his word is true, to the point that you were demanding your own way. And by the way, some of you are deceived right now, and you don't know it. If you know of a time when you were deceived, you, you, you came to your senses, God granted you repentance, and you turned from that deception. Think about a time when you knew you were deceived. You found it out later. You knew that you had adopted error and that you started loving what God hates and calling it beautiful. And you were sinking neck deep in a sea of filth and thinking it was a pristine pool. And you were just clouded. It was like mud was all over the windshield and the wipers were going and you couldn't see. And you didn't realize it, and you thought everything was great. You didn't realize it till later, but you thought it nothing to traffic in sin. Gluttony and gossip and greed and sensuality and selfish sins, and you even gave hearty approval to it and for it in your own heart and in your own home and even in the household of God. But God brought you to your senses and you realized you were deceived. You always always have to tell yourself the truth. And the reason why you always have to tell yourself the truth is because despicable lies sound so delicious. There was a day when lies were seen for what they were, but now they creep in the side door and they sound like truth. But it is easier to reject lies when you are 
rejoicing in the truth. When you're clinging to truth, when you're drenched in truth, when you know the word, you can reject lies. I think of Moses. He refused the fineries and the the delicacies of Egypt and Pharaoh. There was a greater treasure that he sought. I think of Esther. She stood for the truth for such a time as this. I think of Joseph and his multicolored robe and his hateful brothers that cast him into a pit and then sold him to traitors. Think of his attempted seducement by Potiphar's wife and Joseph answering, how can I do this thing and sin against God? He's living in Satan's nest, the hotbed of ungodliness, and he was resolved to reject lies because he feared God and rejoiced in God's truth. He was able to be courageous. Why do we fall to fear? Why do we get deceived? A lot of times we fall to fear because we're fearful. Isn't that interesting? We're afraid of what everyone's going to say, so we fall to fear. We're afraid of being labeled or rejected or canceled or not invited. So we just go along. Sometimes it's our ignorance. We, we don't know what God's word says. We haven't spent the time, took the time to find out what it says. You cannot know what God says if you only have a one-day diet of the word of God. I'm startled at times, but I'm not surprised how many people don't know the word of God because they haven't spent time in the word of God. And they say all things about, all sorts of things about the word of God that are just absolutely not true. And if, if they just learned what it said, they would realize. So sometimes it's our fear. Sometimes it's our ignorance. And sometimes it's our desires that run amok. We, we want to be liked so desperately that we will do anything for that. And sometimes it, it's pride. Where we, where we say, you know, I know better than everybody else. Or I know better than God. Or I did that. I made that happen. We fall to fear. We, we get deceived. Martin Luther said, you can expect from me everything but fear. I shall not flee or recant, even if there are as many devils there as there are tiles on the roofs of houses. John Knox said, I have looked in the faces of many angry men and yet have not been afraid above measure. J. Oswald Sanders said, the highest degree of courage is seen in the person who is most fearful but refuses to capitulate to it. Missionary Mary Slessor said, Lord, the task is impossible for me but not for thee. Lead the way, I will follow. Why should I fear? I am on a royal mission in the service of the king of kings. 
How can you and I be steadfast? Just do the flip side of what gets us into fear and deception. Instead of fear and ignorance and desire and pride, live with courage, the knowledge of the Holy One, right desires, and instead of pride, humility. People will give you a trophy or a plaque or a certificate or a medal for, for pretty much almost anything these days, but there's often times when we truly do something noteworthy and, and people will say, wow, you're such a good, and then you fill in the blank, mom or dad or worker or business owner or employee or child or student or athlete. Christian replies differently. Maybe someone will say to you, you know, your marriage, your parenting, your career, your ministry, wow. And the Christian must reply only by the sheer grace of God. Only because of the cumulative effect of the the word of God upon my heart and soul and mind and home and God's word being brought to bear and applied and the word rightly handled only by the grace of God. As Paul said, I worked harder than everyone, but not I. The grace of God with me. Christ in me. Rejoiced in the truth. As he said to the Corinthians, love does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth doesn't budge. Constrained by the word of God, unquestioned, understood it, context, obeying it and not pushing unbiblical ideas and agendas and not thinking we can disobey whatever we feel like disobeying. When we say, you know, there's this thing in the Bible, but it's okay if I, if I go opposite of that because it's, it's not going to affect my salvation. And what's the next thing that you're going to choose doesn't doesn't call you to obey. What's the next thing you say is that's not binding on me. And be careful what you accept. You know that salt looks like sugar, right? Don't fool yourself. Don't don't deceive yourself. It's if you if you're if you're here but not a doer of the word, you're in danger. I think so many of us, so many Christians think, I just need to make myself look good to the world by acting like the world and agreeing with the world and what we forget is that it's the countercultural, it's the counterintuitive, it's the counteractive measures of believing God and his word that distinguishes us and sets us apart from the world. While you engage lovingly and kindly, we are living in a time of, of defiant denial of the word of God, and what we need to be distinct is a simple determination. I'm going to resolve to resist fear and reject lies. I'm going to cling to unchanging biblical distinctives. Because Jesus is returning. Jesus is coming back, and there is a timeline. Everyone doesn't agree on all the specifics, but God's not confused. The big pieces are all agreed upon. Christ appeared the first time in person. He's going to return a second time in person. It's not a myth. It's a reality. 
And that's all we need. Don't be alarmed because people keep telling you that's not true. You gotta just keep communicating gospel truth. When your kids are in the womb, communicate to them gospel truth. They can hear you, they just don't know the language yet. But communicate gospel truth. When you're in your deepest, darkest hour, communicate gospel truth. When you're at the highest point, communicate gospel truth. You didn't get yourself there. You want to be like a lighthouse, strong and firm and steadfast, unflinching, unbudging, unwavering, absorbing the crashing breakers in the strength of Christ, resisting every attack, being a refuge to those in danger, resisting harmful ideas, you just, where you just say, I'm going to swat away every lie. I'm going to get my lie swatter out. And know that your relationships, your friends matter. Bad company corrupts good morals. So here's the deal. Knowing the order of events associated with the Lord's return is going to help us resist fear and reject lies. We must resist fear and reject lies. Christ's return is going to reverse the curse that was put on us due to the fall. We're no longer going to be groaning under sin's crushing weight one day. We'll be set free from bondage to decay and all things will be made new. There'll be no more tears, no more death, no more mourning, no more pain, no more lies, no more deception. These will pass away. Satan will be defeated and judged and never to accuse or attack the people of God again and all will stand before Christ's throne of judgment and all in the Lamb's book of life will enter the kingdom and all not found in there will be cast into outer darkness and so every Christian must rejoice in truth with reverence and Resist the fear and reject the lies. You know, in John Bunyan's Pilgrim's Progress, he was describing Christian's journey uh, through the valley of the shadow of death, and he described it this way. It's like walking between two dangers, a deep ditch on one side and a dangerous, marshy, boggy quag on the, on the other side, and if you move too sharply in one direction to avoid the other, you can fall into the other danger. It is a delicate balance, but if you, if you want to navigate the times and obey this passage, knowing the order of events associated with Christ's return and knowing you must resist fear and reject lies and rejoicing in the truth with reverence and being in, in Christ's strength and for his glory, being like a lighthouse, he can make you strong, firm, and steadfast. Lord, we thank you and praise you that you give us grace to be steadfast even when we feel like we have no strength at all. And Lord, we want to trust you for mercy needed due to our own sin. We do want to resist fear and reject lies. We do want to rejoice in the truth. We do want to reverence you. Lord, your word stands above all. You've spoken, and you don't budge. You don't change. And people are saying you don't mean what you clearly said, but may their deception come to nothing. Help us, Lord, not to cave in or capitulate. Help us to stand in your strength. 
We know you will be eternally praised. You know, we know you're the only one who gives eternal life by grace alone, through faith in Christ alone. I pray, Lord, that you would strengthen us to stand with the apostles and prophets who would not bend to the winds of the world. Give us courage. Give us greater fear of displeasing you or denying you. Give us grace when faced with the decision to recant on the Bible and go with the mob or, or stand on your word that will stand forever. Please be honored with your, in and with your people. Be glorified in us by your grace that we would endure until the end. And it's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. Amen. Let's stand together and we'll sing one last song.
Jesus, give us Jesus, we cry. Only Jesus, only Jesus, the pearl of greatest pride. Here's how you know if uh, someone is giving the truth is when they confess their sins and believe in the Lord Jesus and keep doing that. They're clinging to Christ. If you're clinging to Christ, if you're afraid, if you're thinking you're deceived. I was talking to someone uh, this week and they said, I don't know. Sometimes I think I'm not a Christian. I'm like, you know, only Christians talk like that. People who aren't believers aren't saying, by the way, I don't think I'm a Christian. I'm really worried about it. Be assured if you're in Christ. If you're not in Christ, run to Christ. I want to say also, for anyone who's on the live stream and you can't make it to be with us, we do this for you so that you can be with us even in this way. And all of us, um, a lot of things, good things are, are happening and God is doing so many good things. And we have a lot of opportunities to fellowship together and to serve. So take advantage of those opportunities. And uh, Wednesday night, we're going to be on um, 7 p.m. here, uh, marriage part two and parenting part one. So we're going to tackle a lot on Wednesday and hope we will, um, we will do justice to, the, to what the Bible says about those things. So we'll close with 1 Thessalonians 5, 23 and 24. And now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. And we thank you, Lord, for these assurances. Thank you for your presence with your people. May we go now in your strength and for your glory to do your work. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Sovereign in the mountain air, sovereign on the ocean floor, with me in the calm, with me in the storm, sovereign.